Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach, and with me, as always, is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm trying to adjust to the cold weather because it seems to have come out of nowhere. And... uh, I know that it's been more of a gradual decline in the temperature, but uh, I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm in my heavy coat right now. I'm just ready for the cold. (laughs) Let us know. That's great. I'm glad somebody is. That's good. That's me. In every crowd, there's a me that's just, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's so cold. And I'm just like, yes. (laughs) So today we're talking about James 3, uh, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Before James goes into talking about taming the tongue, He makes this comment about teachers. He says that many people shouldn't be teachers and shouldn't become teachers because they're judged with greater strictness than others. Who who qualifies as a teacher here, Jeff? So really, he's not talking about teachers in like elementary schools and middle schools and things of that nature, um, people who are teaching various subjects. He's talking specifically about teachers within the church. And so obviously the pastor of the church is going to be a teacher, um, but within the, the life of the church, often the ministerial staff will teach various places, various groups of people, um, Sunday school teachers of all ages, small group leaders, people who are entrusted with the mantle to teach God's word to God's people. Um, And that audience may be of varying sizes. You know, uh, when I stand up to preach on Sunday morning, I know that we are broadcasting out to a lot of folks, not only in the WBKO broadcast area, but also around the world by way of our internet, um, live stream. So it could be an audience that big or much bigger, or it could be a very small group. You know, one of the most impactful Bible studies I was ever a part of, there were three of us in it, and we would meet for two to three hours at a time when I was in college, and that teacher was teaching us the Word of God. And so um, anybody who is who is functioning to speak on God's behalf, even if I am in a one-on-one mentoring session. And, and I don't think this is meant to dissuade people 
from helping others trust and follow Jesus. I think it's just an admonition that we should take it very seriously, that when I'm speaking on God's behalf, using God's Word, the words that I'm speaking carry a lot of weight, and they carry a lot of weight insofar as how people will pattern their lives. So if I were to look at you and say, you know, here's a sin issue in your life, Jordan, God really doesn't care about that. So feel free to go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Mm. Well, I'm, one, contradicting God's Word. Uh, two, encouraging you to live a life that is contrary to Almighty God. And the Bible says that if anyone, well, this is Matthew eighteen six, and I, I mentioned it in the sermon, that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So there's this, there's this degree of seriousness that when I'm speaking for God, whether that's to thousands of people or whether that's to another human being, I need to understand the gravity of that, and I need to take it very seriously. Uh, so again, I don't think that, that James is seeking to dissuade people from mentoring others in the faith. Um, I think he's just saying, when you're doing that, just realize that's a big deal, and you need to take it very seriously. James also says that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So of all things, why does he suggest that taming your tongue can make you perfect? You know, I think that's a great question. And honestly, in preparing for the message, I consulted the work of a theologian uh, who was actually on my dissertation committee at Southern Seminary, a guy named Robert Plummer. And he is a, an expert in Greek. I had him for Greek uh, as a seminary student in my master's degree, and then he was on my uh, dissertation committee for my doctoral work. But Dr. Plummer tells us this, and I think this is so helpful. He says, James writes, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That's James chapter 3, verse 2. And then Dr. Plummer says, because the tongue reveals the heart, if one were truly able never to sin in speech, he would be a, quote, perfect man, end quote. Such a person could, James tells us, also resist the temptation of non-speech-related sins. For example, lust, theft, idolatry, anger, greed. The language of perfection here mirrors James 1.4, and as in the earlier passage, it is best to see the Christian as growing toward such perfection or maturity while never fully reaching it in this life. Only one human was completely sinless in speech on this earth, Jesus Christ, who is without fault in every other area of temptation as well. So the idea is this, again, going back to Jesus' statement that it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. If my heart is entertaining adultery, I may not have the opportunity to engage in adultery right now, but I pretty much always have the opportunity to vocalize what's going on inside of me mm -hmm. right now. So the mouth is, is kind of, in my view, the mouth is kind of the, the first outlet <laughs> of, of what's going on inside of me. And so I think James's point is that anyone who could have a completely clean mouth, completely sinless, faultless mouth, that's going to, to exhibit a sinlessness and faultlessness within that individual. That, frankly, was exhibited only by Jesus. And, and, and it's instructive when we think about Jesus's speech. Jesus never said anything rashly. 
Everything he said was measured. Sometimes it was measured to be more intense. Sometimes it was measured to be more compassionate. But every word he said was purposeful. And he didn't just fly off the handle. Even when he was he was calling the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, whitewashed tombs and 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 talking about how they care about cleaning the outside, or even when he was cleansing the temple and said, You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers, those words were not careless. They were all measured. And I think that that gives us a great example. Again, what what comes out of our mouths is the overflow of our hearts. And so I think that's where James is going. Again, it's an indicator of what's going on on the inside, not something. So so let me be completely clear. I don't think James is saying, "Well, get your speech right and you'll be perfect." That's that's it's 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 not that sort of and if my speech is right, then I'm perfect. It's right. if perfection is being wrought in me by the Holy Spirit, my speech is clean. It's, it's the other way around. So um, I think that's, that's where he's coming from there. Yeah. Well, and in you talking about Jesus' words being measured, it makes me think of where it says that the, he has a rod of his mouth. It, mm. Jesus' words, even the harsh ones, were to provoke repentance in measure with what he was saying. He wasn't just cursing people. So this isn't a question of Jesus blessing or cursing people and learning how to bless and curse like Jesus. It's learning how to bless like Jesus, even in disciplining correctly with the mouth. That's that's a great way to put it. Yes, sir. So we know that speaking poorly of others is wrong. We know that saying slander of others is wrong. But Bottling up frustrations also isn't a good thing. Is there a proper way to vent our frustrations correctly? Yeah, I think that's such an important question because we do have to vent. Because if we just stuff everything, it will come out. Uh, It will come out perhaps as an explosion on another person or some sort of physiological response in us, a heart attack or a stroke or, or something deeply serious because we've allowed stress to build up. So we do need to vent. But I think we need to vent appropriately. And I think the first and most appropriate venting that all of us can do is patterned in the Psalms. We vent straight to God. Mm. <laughs> we, yeah. you know, and, and, and so often we don't think, well, I can't do that. Well, well, first of all, God already knows every thought we have, even before we think it. He knows every word we're going to say before we say it. That's Psalm 139. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So if he already knows those things, how wonderful is it for us who in Christ are God's children to go to him, to confess those things, to be honest about those things to him. This individual, Lord, has really angered me, and here's the reasons why. And I don't want to forgive him, but I know you call me to forgive him. I don't want to be reconciled, but I know you're calling me to be reconciled. You know, those sorts of things. So so I think first we vent to God. I think we do so respectfully. We, you know, I think it's very important um, the way we talk to God matters, and I always, always tend to to lean toward if I were in the room talking with the greatest dignitary in the world, whoever you deem that to be. I mean, that's that's the the level of respect I would have there. I try to take it even higher for Almighty God. Mm. But then there's also this degree of familiarity where this is my Father. So you think about. Would you roll around on the floor of the Oval Office? Well, no, of course not. You you 
probably could get shot for just going and rolling <laughs> around on the floor of the Oval Office. But if if your dad was the president, you would. Yeah. And that was illustrated in, in the presidency of John F. Kennedy, where mm-hmm. his son was running around under dignitaries' legs, pushing a truck on the, the floor of the Oval Office. So, so there's a degree of respect, but there's also a degree of familiarity. But I think that first we vent to God. Then I think we've got to have somebody who is very close to us. Um, for those of us who are married, uh, and the three of us sitting in this room all have wives, yep. and the Bible says that when we get married, the two become one flesh. We are echad, just like uh, God is one, God is echad. And so there is some sense in which um, our husbands or our wives are a gift from God that uh, we ought to be able to vent to them. Um, beyond that, I think that the key issue in finding someone to whom you can vent is trust. Because ultimately, the reason you're venting is so that you do not go off on another human being, the person who's angered you, um, and so that you can then be a person around others. In the event that you have someone to whom you vent that then breaks that trust, they start to tell other people what you've said, then functionally, the vent is no longer available to you. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is, I should be able to tell these things to you, and they stop there. That's the whole point. If I can't tell these things to you and and have them stop there, then I'm not going to tell these things to you. It would be like going to a counselor or a therapist and pouring out your heart and then learning that that therapist is telling every subsequent patient who comes in about, you know, or it would be like going to a doctor and, you know, dealing with some sort of diagnosis and then learning that that doctor has been violating HIPAA in every regard by telling your business to others. So, so as soon as the trust is not there, then I'm not going to vent anymore. Uh, And so then the question becomes, how do you establish that trust? Well, it takes time. It takes time. And, I do think that there is value in venting, but I, I think that we have to be careful that we're not just spewing um, vitriol carelessly and um, that that we're not engaging in slander or in written form libel um, by venting. And, and let me that's that's a very important point. If you choose to vent in print, you gotta know, that that doesn't go away. Um, I've, I've told several people several times, your text messages can be subpoenaed. So uh, how many of us know somebody who typed out the big text message that was venting about something and sent it to the person about whom they were venting? Mm. Oh, I know several oh, people man. who've done that, and, and what a nightmare. But you know, if you don't put that in print, and you don't, you know, the other thing is... <laughs> I've had people come to me and say, I was eating dinner at a restaurant and I was sitting by a couple of your church members and they were talking about this person and da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, well, you know, if I'm in a crowded restaurant, maybe that's not the best place to do it. You right. know, maybe I should ensure that, uh, that, that, that we have privacy. And again, everybody needs to vent, but we need to do it appropriately. Yeah. I was telling you before the show about uh, this book, Taming the Tongue by Mark Kenzer. It's been really influential to me and in how I think about taming my tongue and being careful about what I say. One of the ideas that he suggests is that if you're talking to someone, if you're venting, 
particularly if they're familiar with the people you're venting about, you should remove identifying details so they don't know who you're talking about. That's a great idea. Yeah. Especially in talking to Taylor, my wife, about, you know, something that I'm venting about it. I really try to remove identifying markers and, you know, especially if she doesn't know the person, I can say, you don't even know this person. So <laughs> if you interact with them, then, you know, you wouldn't even know who I'm talking about. That's but right. that way I can share the details, share about what upset me. But if she were to interact with the person, she would have no idea and not be harmed by that speech. That That's a great idea. That's a phenomenal practice. So we'll go to today's listener question. Remember, listeners, if you have a question, you can submit it in the description of this episode. You can go to the link in the description and submit it there, or you can comment on whatever platform you're on with your question. Today's question is, keeping Matthew 12, 36 through 37 in mind, where Jesus says that people will give account for every careless word they speak, I feel like there is a fine line between prayer requests and gossiping. It often feels like prayer requests open the door to gossiping. We have good intentions, but when asking about a situation, it often leads to gossiping. As Christians, how should we approach this without crossing that line? That is such a great question. It is a thoughtful question, and it is an insightful question. And I can tell you that after 20 years of being in vocational ministry, it is a needed question because it happens all the time. I am a big believer that... Everyone has the right to tell their story to the audience to whom they want to tell it. So as a pastor, there are more times than anyone might imagine where I will have people come to me and say, this is going on in my life. I'm going to ask you to keep that between us. Now, if there's something illegal, somebody's being harmed, I mean, that, that's, that's a different situation. But sure. I'm just talking about your run-of-the-mill prayer request then I've got to guard that confidence. And there are times when people say, I want you to know this, but I don't want you to share it with the staff. Or I want this, you and the staff to know this, but I don't want you to share it with the church. I believe that it is not my prerogative to open up somebody else's situation to an audience that they don't want that situation opened up to. And I think that that's just a good practice. And so I probably lean more on the side of not saying anything um, because I've seen it go so bad so quickly where let's say somebody's been given a diagnosis and they're wanting to keep it quiet. And I know that there are people who think, well, why would they want to keep it quiet? Well, it's none of your business why they want to keep it quiet. You know, yeah. uh, if, you, if you get a diagnosis, you tell everybody if you want to. But um, I think we are tasked with respecting those boundaries. Or, you know, if somebody's having a, a hard family situation and they share that, you know, again, woe to me if I take that and start spreading it because it's not my story to tell. So I'll honestly tell people a lot. I'll say, this is your story to tell, and I will share it to the extent that you want me to share it. If that's not at all, then that's not at all. If that's with the staff, then I'll share it on Tuesday in staff meeting. If that's with prayer meeting, then I'll share it in prayer meeting or in Vespers or wherever. But I'll also give the caveat that, that once it's out there in prayer meeting, for example, it's out there. Mm -hmm. So I think that recognizing that... Whatever the prayer request may be, I want to respect whatever boundary that individual has placed around it. 
Yeah, and going back to Mark Kinzer, he writes, Slander occurs especially when the facts summoned are accurate. It is a sin because the facts are summoned for the purpose of dishonoring and disgracing an individual. And thinking about prayer requests, you know, it, to me it sounds like the line is, is this one, honoring the intended audience of the person who shared the information at first about themselves, and two, is the information meant to be edifying and to speak blessing into the situation, or is it just conveying information just so that we have delicacies uh, go down our... Is the delicacies going down to ear or throat? I forget the, the reference. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's about speaking truth, but also speaking peace. Yeah. And, and I think we have to guard ourselves against just morbid curiosity. It's mm. kind of like when you drive past a wreck. You know, one of the things that drives me insane is when people take pictures of wrecks and post it on social media. Yeah. Because if my loved one's been killed in a wreck, that's not how I want to find out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It even goes so far for me that when I find out that someone has passed away, uh, I don't share that information without permission because I don't want word to reach a family member or a close friend that 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 came to them in a way other than it needed to arrive with them. In other words, you got to give the family time to tell the story. And then once the story's out, the story's out. But again, I am not the owner of that information, nor should I be the purveyor of that information. So I will explicitly ask for permission. And if they say no, then the answer is no. And sometimes word slips out and we'll have a thousand people calling the church. And, and we have to protect that confidence until the family is ready for that information to be shared. Amen. So Jeff, as always, this has been a very enlightening, very edifying discussion on the Bible about guarding our tongues, speaking blessing, not speaking cursing. Can you pray us out for today? I would love to. Let's pray. Lord, only you can tame our tongues, and that's because only you can do the sanctifying work in us that makes our hearts more experientially pure. Lord, we're so thankful that for every person listening to this podcast who has repented of sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, you have, you have declared us justified in Christ, but you're making us better. You are sanctifying us. You are making us holy. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. And so we pray that we would surrender continually to your work in our lives so that our tongues would be tamed because the overflow of our heart is cleaner by your work. So, Lord, we do. We love you. We trust you. And we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to be the sort of people who bless and do not curse. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.